Amen. If you have your Bibles tonight, would you turn with me to the book of Matthew? We're continuing our study uh, in the book of Matthew in chapter 7. Uh, we've been going through the Sermon on the Mount for quite some time. I don't even know what number of sermons this is. Uh, going through the Sermon on the Mount. But tonight, I've entitled this, Unmasking the Costumed Predators. And you'll understand why when I look at it this evening. But this is one of those passages of Scripture I was really... Uh, thinking on, pondering on, praying over, how do I preach this? And so some studies and prayers, and, uh, and, and you'll, I'll talk more about this, but it's been on my heart, just trying to think, Lord, how do I approach this scripture from a, uh, and, and really teach it in a way where it would be understandable uh, as opposed to a he said, she said type of argument? And uh, Matthew chapter 7, verse 15, the Bible gives us clarification uh, in verse 15 of Matthew chapter 7. If you follow along, if you have your Bible, there is a Bible there in their pew if you need one. Matthew chapter 7, verse 15, beware of false prophets which come to you in sheep's clothing, but inwardly they are ravening wolves. Ye shall know them by their fruits. Now, that statement there is very, very indicative, and that's where my uh, theme tonight, and really the emphasis tonight, is going to come from the fruits. So keep that in mind. Do men gather grapes of thorns or figs of thistles? When you're going out, if you're going to an apple tree, I'm not going to an apple tree to get blackberry thorns. Uh, I'm not going to a fig tree to get thistles. I'm going to a fig tree to get figs, and I'm going to a, vine, a vine of grapes to get grapes. I don't want thorns. Now, uh, so there ought to be commensurate with the individual. If you're a Christian, you ought to have fruit that is an indicator that you're a believer, that you know Christ, that you are endeavoring to follow him. And that is a, that is a point that is so often in this part of what is a false prophet. An individual can say false prophet but what does that mean? How do we determine, how do we have a test for a false prophet? Is it, well, this is this tradition and this tradition and this tradition, but we're all kind of around, around the same. Well, that's not what God, God has given us, the absolute truth of his word that can give us an indicator as to what is a false prophet. And we're going to talk about that going forward. Uh, even so, verse 17, even so every good tree bringeth forth good fruit, but a corrupt tree bringeth forth evil fruit. A good tree cannot bring forth evil fruit, neither can a corrupt tree bring forth good fruit. Every tree that bringeth not forth good fruit is hewn down and cast into the fire. Wherefore, by their fruits ye shall know them. Now, what does it mean to be holy? We're going to talk about holiness tonight. And this is... The crux of the matter. I mean, this is the dividing line, really, on, on the holiness of God. Because a false prophet is going to produce unholy fruit. A good prophet or a godly prophet, for those who adhere to the truth of God's word and are listening, will produce godly fruit. So the dividing line, and there's a lot of other things I want to talk about, and I'll get into some specifics on this, not tonight. I've got, I don't know, 30-something pages here uh, on this, but I'm not going to get to it all tonight. But this holiness issue 
and it was, I was just sitting there this week, and I was like, Lord, what am I preaching? And then, Lord, how do I preach this passage of Scripture? And it was the holiness. This is absolutely the, this is the foundational issue that determines a good preacher from a bad preacher, is their holiness. Now, what does it mean to be holy? An illustration by Adrian Rogers. He said, well, the word holy means to be separate, to be distinct, to be separated for a special cause. That's what the word holy means. We're to be separated unto God. Now, not just that we're two to be, to be dead to the world, but we're to be alive unto God. When you get married, there's a sense in which you are holy to your wife. When you're up there on the altar and you say, I do, you get to call her your wife and she is your wife. And, and your husband is likewise. That is, not only do you stop going with all the other girls, but you give yourself unto her completely, totally, wholly. I mean, completely, no reservations. All other ladies are off limits if you're a man. In a sense, holy. You're separated only. I'm separated only into my wife until the day that she breathes her last. I am separated completely unto her, and we are to be separated completely and totally unto God. We are to be holy. Now, my friend, we live in a time of the greatest danger for Christians. As there are so many false teachers and preachers masquerading as men or women of God when in fact they are wolves in the clothing of sheep. They may have the speech and the talk of a believer, but their heart is different than what the Word of God establishes. Now the Sermon on the Mount, if you recall, as I've been going through verse by verse through this entire sermon that Jesus gave there on the Mount, is, is, a, is a sermon of discipleship. How can I as a Christian be all that God's called me to be? And this is what he's doing. He's giving discipleship lessons to his apostles and those who are listening of how to be the, the, all that God wants them to be. And, and so Jesus is concluding here, and he's taught many truths. He has commanded to, to the believer to let their light shine, to get right with those whom they ought, to not be hypocritical or critical, and salvation is only through Jesus Christ. He's taught all of these truths thus far in our study. Now, this sermon is a very important topic, but none not without its critics and scorners. As I speak against false teachers, I speak of those whose teachings will deviate from the written word of God. Now, just because there's a discussion of error, I'm not, again, I, if I say anything tonight, and, and I, I, I will mention a person here shortly, I am not placing myself above anyone else. I'm not saying I'm better than them. I am giving a warning as the teachings of any specific persons mentioned will produce a fruit, will produce actions in your life that are contrary to the Word of God. To have actions of life that are contrary to the Word of God will increase the hardship in your life. And ultimately, if I follow false prophets, I might have the immediate good feeling. But the end will be a problem because I will be at odds with God. And if you are at odds with God, you will not get God's peace. You can have a momentary pleasure, momentary good feeling, but you will miss out on the abiding relationship with Christ. 
false prophets do more damage than anything else because they teach people. And I want to ask you this question, who is more dangerous? Is it the more, the per, who is more dangerous tonight? Ask this question. Is it the person who hates God and speaks against him? Or is it a person who says they love God, but they teach the teachings or doctrines of the Bible that are different than the Bible? And to that I say it's the, sec, it's the latter. It's the person who says they love God, but preach a different message. Do you realize this, that more than half of Canadians are professing Christians? This is a 2018 Pew uh, Research Center study. But 3 in 10 are unaffiliated. 55% of Canadians are, quote, are, are professing Christian. 29% are unaffiliated. 14% other. And 2% are, uh, don't know. And, uh, <clears throat> and this is, that came from a Pew Research Study 2018 Global Attitude Survey. Now, if this were really true, true Christians, our nation would be vastly different. We may be traditionally Christian, like we've had Christian values, but not necessarily biblically Christian, because the moral temperatures and the values of our nation would be different if more than half of Canadians were actually a biblical Christian. Now, there are many thousands of professing Christian churches in our land, but what makes a church biblical. What differentiates a biblical church from an apostate or a carnal church? What makes a preacher a false prophet? What makes a church unbiblical? There's a discussion of knowing the false prophet by his fruits. As Jesus says, you shall know them by their fruits. You have to ask yourself when you see all these various churches, what kind of, quote-unquote, professing Christians are being created there? What is their attitude? Is their attitude aligning with Scripture, or is their attitude, I can go and live however I want, and because I've been forgiven by Jesus, it doesn't matter, I can have all the freedom to do as I please, I can violate God's laws, but it's okay because I'm forgiven. My friend, when a Christian looks no different than a person who doesn't have a saving faith, we've got a great problem. And these false prophets are creating professing believers who look very little, there's a very little difference between them and a, non, and a non-believer. Just because someone names the name of Jesus does not make them a solid Christian. There was an individual I recently saw. I was, there's this guy on YouTube. I kind of listen to him ever so often. And <clears throat> he's got a number of things there. He had mentioned this particular pastor and his wife who have received criticism for celebrating. This church has thousands of people, thousands. They celebrated a music project produced by their teenage son which celebrates guns, sex, and designer clothes. God forbid. That came out of ChristianPost.com. He brags about talking with his son through the top 100 rock albums, and then he uses the phrase, train up a child in the way they should go, and the way that they should go is Led Zeppelin. I want, to, I want you to say, that is 
absolute wickedness. Because Led Zeppelin really was a, uh, he had a song that was inspired by a figure from a tarot card. Nothing less than demonism. Why would I elevate any rock star whose lie, you know, if a rock star gets saved and, and they want to do right, praise the Lord for that. I, mean, I, I praise God for that. But if a rock star and you're praising songs that are elevating demonic, occultic behavior and you do that behind the pulpit, you are pushing your people in towards the world and not towards Jesus Christ. He would go, Zeppelin would also believe in Aleister Crowley. The idea there was Satan's Bible, magical things. He was into mysticism. He said, and he, he goes on to say, listening to Jimi Hendrix's particular song, one of the greatest, there's this particular song that Jimi Hendrix did, is one of the greatest guitar intros of all times, says this pastor. You realize that Jimi Hendrix said, I believed in myself more than anything. Well, if you are elevating a, a singer who believes in himself more than anything, then I am preaching a different message from the Bible. He says, and then he goes on to say, from the pulpit, with thousands of people in the audience, he said, you don't have to grow up to be a Christian, but you will know that Jimi Hendrix. There are some things that are non-negotiable. He laughs. And then he talks about like Pearl Jam copying Jimi Hendrix. Jimi is not copying them. And he continues to discuss rock music with his son. My friend, that is a false prophet. Because you are pushing people towards the activities that are clearly anti-Christian. You see, a false prophet is known by a lack of desire for the purity and holiness of of God. And I want to talk about that tonight. Because my friend, this holiness issue is the basement, fundamental, foundational issue to all. It's either true or false. Holiness. That preacher, when I heard that, you don't have to grow up to be a Christian, but you will know that Jimi Hendrix. God forbid. God forbid. Man, I want my daughter to be saved, to grow up to be a Christian. I want her to know Jesus Christ. It's not just a good thing. It's an eternal thing. And it matters. No true preacher of God wants to lead the people away from the holiness and the righteousness of God. I don't want to condone or accept any behavior that is clearly in violation of this holy word, perfect word. We are in a culture where there are so many preachers that like to tickle the ears. And what I mean by tickle the ears is they want to preach a message that makes you feel good, encourages you. And I'm all about, I, man, I want Christians to be encouraged. But they want to encourage you. And I'm going to talk more on this because I'm going to deal with a passage of Scripture in Jeremiah chapter 28 where Jeremiah deals with very prophets just like this where there is a message that is in clear contrast with the message that Jeremiah gives. 1 Corinthians chapter 10, verse 7, Neither be ye idolaters, as were some of them. As it is written, the people sat down to eat and drink and rose up to play. Idolaters. Eat and drink and rose up to play. It's about the entertainment. Now they can say, open your Bibles, and the Bible says today, and all these stories... 
But do you realize this, that no preacher has any authority more than what they have through the Word of God? There's no person that is somehow some higher entity, higher knowledge than the Word of God. The greatest thing that can be imparted to the listener is God's Word. Because if I elevate myself or any words or dreams or visions I have above this word, I have just said that my authority is greater than God's authority. Heaven help you. You will be adding to God's word. Do you realize this in Luke 6, 26? Woe unto you when all men speak well of you, for so did their fathers to the false prophets. You see, you can see large crowds of people following, listening to a quote-unquote preacher. But just because there's thousands of people or hundreds of people or hardly anyone does not mean necessarily that what is spoken is biblical. They can, well, oftentimes what Satan does is he mixes. There's truth and he'll mix it with error. Because if you mix a little bit of error with truth, just a little bit of error with truth, then what you do is you create a person who doesn't have all of the instructions that are necessary to being the Christian that God wants him to be. Error will keep you from the blessings and the promises of God. False prophets are detected by the holiness of or lack thereof of their followers, be holy as God is holy. This is what God has given us this evening. Let me pray, and we'll continue. Our gracious Father, I yield tonight to Thee. I pray for this message. Lord, may I have the right spirit. I don't want to come across angry. or Father, I pray that I'd have the compassion and the love of Christ. Lord, I pray in our hearts and minds we would be those that are looking at the fruit is their holiness. Lord Jesus, I love you. Thank you for this evening. You take over. And we'll thank you for what you've done. In Jesus' precious name I pray. Amen. There is a need for caution. And God, the Bible gives us very many cautions. I want to go through several of these tonight. That God tells us over and over and over again in the Bible, beware. He says here, beware of false prophets. First Peter chapter five, five verse eight. Be sober, be vigilant, because your adversary, the devil, as a roaring lion, walketh about seeking whom he devour. Beware of Satan's devices. Matthew ten seventeen. But beware of men, for they will deliver you up to the councils, and they will scourge you in their synagogues. Beware of persecution. Matthew 16, 16, look with me here. Matthew 16, 6, 16, verse 6. If you're there in Matthew, turn with me to Matthew chapter 16, verse 6. You see, my friend, if we're, not, if we're not aware and we're not on caution, we're not on guard, when you're in the battlefield and uh, any time a mortar attack could happen, uh, you could have a suicide bomber, you could have something out of, out of the unexpectedly happen, you will be on edge. 
when you're in battle and, and the rockets are firing or guns are blazing ever so often, maybe you've had a couple days where no guns are blazing, no mortar attacks, but you're still there wherever you're at on the battlefield, you are on heightened awareness because I don't feel like dying today. I mean, I'm going to be on edge. And my friend, as the Christian, God has called us in Matthew 16, 6, then Jesus said unto them, Take heed and beware of the leaven of the Pharisees and of the Sadducees. He says, listen here, this leaven is that which defiles. Now leaven in the Bible is your yeast. But leaven in the Bible is a picture of a defiling influence or sin. So what is this that I must stay away from? The Pharisees and Sadducees would would teach or espouse a belief in God. They would preach about God. They would preach about a Messiah coming, though they didn't believe in Jesus. They would preach about all sorts of things. But, and so they named the name of God. There are people today that even name the name of Jesus. And yet, what they're teaching is leaven. Is this just enough? He says, beware of false doctrine. Mark, math, uh, Mark chapter 12, verse 38. He said, unto them, uh, he said unto them in his doctrine, beware of the scribes which love to go in long clothing and love salutations in the marketplaces. Here's religious elitism. People, uh, pastors and others, we dress all up and, hey, look at me, I'm a pastor. And, and all of this idea of trying to draw the adoration and the praises of men. Jesus says, this is not, beware. He said in Luke chapter 12, verse 15, look with me here, something else Jesus tells us to be aware of. There is in the Christian life a constant awareness of, of my spiritual state before God because if I'm not aware, the enemy's going to come in very subtly and get in. And very, I mean, all sorts of things. It's not necessarily just doctrine. Sometimes you might have right doctrine, but then he comes in and he works in pride and you become to lift it up that I'm somehow better than others. We're no better just because we might have right doctrine. I'm no better than anyone else. I just want to be right with God. My emphasis is not am I better than others. My emphasis is how is my relationship with God. All of this is peripheral. This is between me and God, I guess you will go like this, between me and God, that is the heart of the Christian. Is that relationship right? I don't care, because at the end of the day, when I die and I stand before God, it's not going to be, am I better than someone else? It's not going to be, uh, you know, have I got more money than them, or was I a better Christian than them? It doesn't matter uh, compared to anyone else. All that matters at the end of the day is how am I with him? Am I right with him? In Luke chapter 12, verse 15, the Bible tells us, and he said unto them, take heed and beware of covetousness. This is materialism. For a man's life consists not in the abundance of the things which he possesses. A person can make the very aim and focus of their life of gaining nice things. Is it wrong to have nice things? It's not. But if that is my focus... We also find that beware of refusing to believe the judgment of God, Acts 13, 40. Beware, therefore, lest that come upon you, which is spoken of in the prophets. And, and what that Acts 13, 40 is talking about, the, the Jews 
refused during Jeremiah's time to believe in the Babylonian invasion. Jeremiah says, please repent. Please get right. And they're like, oh yeah, Jeremiah, he's just like this negative preacher. Negative, negative, negative. Oh, Jeremiah. Oh, you know? And, and, and be, but he says, people just said, ah, God couldn't, there could never be judgment on me. I'm too good of a person. Philippians chapter 3, verse 2, beware of dogs, beware of evil workers, beware of the concision. This is talking about people. He says, beware of legalism. And legalism is, is the truth that I am somehow trying to work to be good enough so that God will accept me because I'm good. Many times it's stated, my good works outweigh my bad works. But nowhere in the Bible do we ever find that truth. My good works outweigh the bad works. Well, if I'm guilty in the court of law, I could have been a perfect person my entire life, and I drive down the road, and I'm texting, and I hit and kill someone, the judges are going to say, oh, wow, you were such an amazing person. I'm just going to throw that out, and you'll be okay. The judge is going to say, no, you killed a life. I'm guilty. And every one of us are guilty. And so we're all guilty, and so you need someone outside of guiltiness, who is Jesus Christ, who is perfect, to ask us to, for, to forgive us and, and step in in my place, in my guilty place, and he takes my guilty place for his innocent place. Colossians chapter 2, verse 8, look with me here as well. This issue of false doctrine, false teaching, there are all the time so many spiritual fronts. You said, man, the Christian... This is, a, this is a warfare. It is. You've got it. You've got it. And I'm not talking that we're like, you know, we're just a wreck if you're in warfare. You know, you're just, you're all, you're all anxious and, oh, I don't want to make, you know. <laughs> this isn't the move that God's desiring in our lives. But if I'm walking in a field that has landmines, guess what? I'm going to be pretty cautious where I take a step. The decisions I make, they're going to have consequences. If I make a wrong step in a field with landmines, uh, that's a bad day. Or the end of my day. Because he tells us here in Colossians 2.8, it says, Beware lest any man spoil you. Well, if something's in your fridge too long, it gets spoiled. It sits out on the counter, it gets spoiled. It once was good. It says, through philosophy and vain deceit, after the tradition of men, you begin to follow the rec- the, whatever the newest fad is. You begin to follow things of this world. You begin to follow teachings that are not rooted and grounded in Scripture. And then it says, after the rudiments of the world and not after Christ. You have to, as I said this morning, you have to determine determine the Bible as your foundation for everything you do. Now, I'm not saying take out your brain and throw it out. I'm saying you evaluate the Word of God and you live out what this book says. The Bible would also go on to say in 2 Peter 3.17, Ye therefore, beloved, seeing ye know these things before, beware lest ye also, being led away with the error of the wicked, fall from your own steadfastness. 
You can be, man, you're humming along for the Lord, and man, you're just moving, and God's working, and all, I mean, you're just like, woo, praise Jesus, and I mean, things are just going well for you, and all of a sudden, something comes in and sideswipes you, and you're just sitting there flat on your back going, what in the world just happened? How is it possible that I could be so sideswiped? Well, if... I can, I can go from that position of looking to Christ. And then I can begin to just look at myself and say, man, I'm a really good Christian. And I begin to become self-confident. <sighs> Beware. You're in trouble. There's a real danger. I want you to look with me at the second to last book of the Bible, verse, uh, chap, uh, Jude, verses 3 and 4. There's only one chapter, so Jude, verses 3 and 4. Christian, we are in real danger. If we go through our Christian life, or you go through your life, and you think, well, everything's okay, it'll all work out in the end, all of our paths will all, you know that many times you talk with a lot of individuals, and they say, well, all the paths to God, they'll all meet up someday at the same place, so it doesn't really matter how, what path you take to get there. Well, my friend, the Bible <laughs> has quite a different statement. Wide is the gate, narrow is the path that leadeth. Let me read this for you. Enter ye in at the straight gate, for wide is the gate, and broad is the way that leadeth to destruction, and many there be which go in thereat. Not all paths are going to lead to the same ending. In Jude, verse 3, Beloved, when I gave all diligence to write unto you of the common salvation. See, salvation is the same for every person. It was needful for me to write unto you and exhort you that you should earnestly contend for, what does he say? The faith. What faith? The faith which was once delivered unto the saints. For there are certain men crept in unawares who were before of old ordained to this condemnation, ungodly men, turning the grace of our God into lasciviousness. Lasciviousness is a word that means without moral restraint. Without restraint. Hey, you're a Christian. God says you're eternally secure. You can't lose it. Live however you want. Drink, carouse, sleep around. You can do what you want. It's okay. And denying the only Lord God and our Lord Jesus Christ, there is a real danger. Just because what you hear may sound and feel good does not mean it necessarily aligns with the Word of God. The Bible tells us, look with me at Matthew chapter, going back to Matthew chapter 24. See, my friend, as, a, as Jesus said, beware of false prophets. Jesus understands that there are people that realize, hey, religion brings with it influence. Influence can bring power and money. And so as a result of a carnal or lost heart, an unbelieving heart, they say, hey, I can be religious. I can preach some words of the Bible. I can get some people to follow me. And as a result... Because of these selfish motives, they can preach Jesus, they can preach all sorts of things, but they preach a Jesus that is different 
than what the Bible says. Because the fruit of these preachers, you look at the lives of those who week in and week out listen to these preachers, are no different than a person who's never been to church. In Matthew 24, verse 4, Matthew 24, 4 and 5. And Jesus answered and said unto them, Take heed that no man deceive you. For many shall come in my name, saying, I am Christ, and shall deceive many. Look at verse 11. And many false prophets shall rise and shall deceive many. Many. Verse 24. For there shall arise false Christs and false prophets and shall so show great signs and wonders insomuch that if it were possible they shall deceive the very elect. He says, hey, they're going to deceive believers by their actions. Signs and wonders in Jesus' name. And people will be deceived to go a wrong direction. Just because there's a sign, just because there's a wonder, does not immediately mean it's of God. Even if they name the name of Jesus. I want you to look with me at another, several other passages of Scripture in the book of Isaiah. As you see there, is there reason for a Christian to be cautious? And I say a hearty yes. In Isaiah chapter 9, verse 15 this evening. You see, Christian, Satan's desire, as I was actually talking with someone this afternoon, is to steal, to kill, and destroy. And if you've accepted the Lord Jesus Christ as your only personal Savior, he's the only, you've put your faith in Christ. He can't bring you to hell, but he can discourage you. And if he can get you away from truth, he can get you to believe a lie and he can keep you being ineffective in God's service. You see, when you are in a, let's say you're in a basketball game, and I used to play basketball, and while you're playing, you know, you're tugging on your opponent's shirt, and you're doing a few other things, and sometimes, and I'm not advocating for this, but sometimes the, you know, the, the fans and others, they're trash-talking each other, and you, if you can get into the head of your opponent where they're worried, and, and man, you're just, you know, you're guarding them, and you're like this, and every time they shoot, you're blocking them. You're hitting that ball away every time, and they're just like getting frustrated. Get away from me. Let me get up to the hoop. Let me shoot that ball, and they start getting so mad and so frustrated because you're so effective at fighting, at, at stopping them from being productive in the game. You've got into their head. You've got into the head. And now your opponent, you can do great things with, against them. And Satan's desire is to get into our heads so that we are ineffective in pointing people to Jesus Christ. We are ineffective in causing a change or being a light for Jesus. Because my life is inconsistent with the Word of God. This is my authority. The greatest thing that I can ever give you is the plagiarism of God's word. But that's the greatest thing. 
Because I'm not going to tell you anything that's not in this book. If I can't back it up by God's, bo- by God's book, then it doesn't need to be said. Isaiah 9, verse 15. The ancient and honorable, he is the head and the prophet that teacheth lies, he is the tale. For the leaders of this people cause them to err, and they that are led of them are destroyed. If you follow, here's the leaders. They're priests. They're priests in the temple of the Most High God, and they're leading people in the wrong direction. What is the outcome? Destroyed. Lives and families and homes destroyed. Look with me at another passage of Scripture, Jeremiah chapter 14. Temperature went down here a little bit, eh? (laughs) Jeremiah 14. It was really hot in here earlier. Jeremiah 14. In Hebrews chapter 13, just as an aside for what I'm coming to here in Jeremiah 14, do you realize this, that a pastor in Hebrews 13 has to give an account before God how he interacted and led God's people in that church. Someday I'm going to have to give an account to God of my actions in this church. Not only am I answering for myself, not only am I answering for my family, I'm answering for this church. This isn't my church, it's God's church, and he never calls them the pastor's people, he calls them mine heritage. You are God's heritage, you're not my heritage. You're God's people, not my people. But I still have to give an account for how I interact and deal with God's people. In Jeremiah chapter 14, verse 14, Then the Lord said unto me, The prophets prophesy lies in my name. I sent them not, neither have I commanded them, neither spake unto them. They prophesy unto you a false vision and divination and a thing of naught and the deceit of their heart. Therefore, thus saith the Lord concerning the prophets that prophesy in my name, and I sent them not. Yet they say, sword and famine shall not be in this land. By sword and famine shall those prophets be consumed. And the people to whom they prophesy shall be cast out in the streets of Jerusalem because of the famine and the sword, and they shall have none to bury them, them, their wives, nor their sons, nor their daughters, for I will pour their wickedness upon them. God says, listen, he tells them, he says, judgment is coming. Judah is going to be overtaken by the Babylonians. And here are these false prophets saying, Oh, thus saith the Lord, God said we're not going to have the Babylonian invasion. God's going God's to fight a mighty army for us, and God's going to push back the Babylonian invasion. And Jeremiah says, No, that's a lie. That is a contrast. Both are saying, Thus saith the Lord. Both have a message from God, quote unquote, but only one of them can be real. You see, if I follow false doctrine, I end at a destination other than I am seeking. If I follow falsehood, deceit, lies, I will not reach the destination of heaven. If you're a Christian, you will not reach the destination of fulfilling all that God called you to be. 
You said, Pastor, you're making such a big deal about it. Because these prophets prophesy lies, though they're speaking in God's name. They can speak in Jesus' name in the modern day. But it won't get you to the fruit that you're desiring to produce of godliness. Look with me at Jeremiah 23, 13. I haven't even got to my study here on holiness. I'm just giving you the warnings here. I'll probably have to, I'll conclude here because I've got a, quite a lengthy section tonight. But Jeremiah 23. I thought I'd go a little bit quicker through this, but praise the Lord. And I, I want to make this very clear. Again, I'm not positioning myself above anyone else. But as Jeremiah, God would say, Jeremiah, give the people this word. The other prophets, thinking God gave them the word, gave the word. The one word that was given by these false prophets, the people are like, woohoo, deliverance, woohoo, God is for us. But the fundamental problem of what Jeremiah was giving them is there was idolatry in the hearts of the people that were never dealt with. The message made them feel good. The message might have encouraged them and comforted them for that time. If you go to a doctor and he says, and you're in a lot of pain, and you go to that doctor and that doctor says, my, you're a figment of, man, you are a, you know, just a, a picture of perfect health and you're thinking, I've been, you know, I'm throwing up, I'm, you know, aches all over. And he's like, man, you're in great health. And you're looking at the doctor going, huh? Who does he think he is? Who is this quack job? I mean, you're just like, who is this guy? I don't want to hear, oh, you're all fine. I want to hear, if there's a real problem, I want to know what the problem is. Jeremiah is saying, Jeremiah 23, look at this. And I have seen folly in the prophets of Samaria. They prophesied in Baal and caused my people Israel to err. I have seen also in the prophets of Jerusalem a horrible thing. They commit adultery and walk in lies. They strengthen also the hands of evildoers, that none doth return from his wickedness. They are all of them unto me as Sodom, and the inhabitants thereof as Gomorrah. Therefore, saith the Lord of hosts concerning the prophets, Behold, I will feed them with wormwood, and make them drink the water of gall, for from the prophets of Jerusalem is profaneness gone forth into all the land. That idea of profaneness is this idea of just common, or just, you know, uh, you know, we treat God, oh yeah, my buddy Jesus, heaven help us. Verse 16, thus saith the Lord of hosts, hearken not unto the words of the prophets that prophesy unto you. They make you vain. They make you empty. They speak a vision of their own heart and not out of the mouth of the Lord. Oh, I've got a vision. I've got a dream. I've got this. And we're trusting in those rather than saying, look at my heart. Things going on in my life. Where am I in contradiction with the word of God? 
And Jeremiah says, these preachers make you vain, and the result of their vanity and the profaneness is God is going to destroy you. If you in your life are going a direction that is dangerous, would you not want someone to say, please stop going that direction? Beware! If there's something and you're driving down the road and the road has crashed out, I mean, it's just washed out, a 100-foot section or 50-foot or 25-foot or even a 10-foot section, that road is washed out. I want a warning up ahead. Road washed out. And I'd sure like that warning probably, you know, a mile or two before I get there. I don't want the warning right as I'm there. Ah, brakes! You know, I don't want the warning at the last second. I want the warning well before I get there. Because if I get it at the last second, you know, heaven help you. You're in trouble. Jeremiah's heart, he says, listen, false teachers will, they might make you feel good, but the end result is disaster. Now, just because you might be comforted doesn't mean it's necessarily bad, okay? I'm not, just be, you know, if it's not, you're like, what's all, pastor, you're, all, you're meaning always negative. That's not what I'm intending at all. But I am saying what you listen to will determine the direction you're going. And you've got to look at the fruit of the life of the individual you're following. It came out recently, this very large preacher, T.D. Jakes, sexual assault allegations that are horrific. Hanging out at parties with a rapper. My friend, that's different fruit. And I'm not against any of those people. But we've got to evaluate the fruit. Because bad fruit leads to bad ends. And you know what? God's called us. I'll end with this verse. Exodus 15, 11. To figure out where to finish off this evening. I've got a whole bunch more. I don't even have time to get to it this evening. The temperature really dropped in here. The temperature was hot and now it's cold, so I apologize for that. You see, Christian, we can get back and we can just sit back and say, well, it's all, it's all about the same. It's not all the same. It really isn't all the same. There's a reason there are distinctions. There are a reason there's different types. It's not that, well, you have this flavor of Christianity and this flavor of Christianity and this flavor. And, you know, it's just like ice cream. You go there and this flavor and this flavor. It doesn't really matter. They're all ice cream. That's not the way it is with, with the teachings of the Bible. It's not a flavor. There's either truth or there's error. And the fruit of what is being produced is an indicator of whether, there's, whether that is a true prophet of the Lord or a preacher or not. In Exodus 15, verse 11, we as believers, who is likened to thee, O Lord, among the gods, 
who is like thee, glorious in holiness, fearful in praises, doing wonders. And the Bible has called us in 1 Peter 1.16, because it is written, Be ye holy, for I am holy. And my friend, if I'm not living my life and being molded and conformed to be more godly and less like this evil world that's following Satan, then I'm going a wrong direction. I'm following bad fruit. Now, I'm not talking, you know, you're hiding out in a, you know, hiding out in a cave and being this ascetic monk-like lifestyle. That's not what I'm talking about. We can be in the world, but if someone were to look at your life, they'd say, that's a Christian. Not because you talk about Jesus. Not because you may go to church. But you ought to evidence in how you conduct your life that you're a believer. That is how you determine fruit. Fruit is the evidence of how you conduct your life, irrespective of the circumstances you're in. Because those circumstances and your, your execution of truth is either going to produce fruit that points people to God or produce fruit that turns people away from God. Truth and holiness is what you and I as believers have been called to be. And if you're here this evening, and you're saying, I don't quite understand it, or I've never accepted Jesus Christ. If I was to ask you, could you give me a Bible reason why you know when you breathe your last breath, you're on your way to heaven? Well, I'm a good person, or I went to church, or I was baptized as an infant, or, 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 or. But if you can't give me a Bible reason why you know you're God's child, there was a time in your life you accepted Jesus Christ, for whosoever shall call upon the name of the Lord shall be saved. In Romans chapter 10, 9 and 10, that if thou shalt confess with thy mouth the Lord Jesus and shalt believe in thine heart that God hath raised him from the dead, thou shalt be saved. You see, you can't be a good fruit unless you're a part of a good tree. And unless you're God's child, you can't bear good fruit. Yes, you can be kind and nice and moral and, and good before others, but my evaluation is not how I'm perceived by others. My evaluation is how God perceives me. We ought to all perceive of ourselves before God as sinners in need of a Savior. And in the humility of my heart, I bow down and I just ask the Lord, please forgive me of all my sins and be my Savior. And if you do that and you receive the gift that Jesus died for my guilty place, and he wants to take all my guilt. He wants, to take my, he wants to take all the penalty that I deserve. I'll receive that gift simply by faith. Ask him to forgive me be my Savior. The Bible says you'll be saved. Born again, forever God's child. And then as a Christian, are we, as we evaluate the fruit of those to whom we listen, the preachers and the pastors and YouTube videos and other things, are their actions, if they say they're a Christian, are they commensurate or are they aligned with God's Word? 
See, we ought to be as Christians, God has said over and over again, beware, be cautious. And if we're not, how quickly can we be swept away with the waves of doctrine that are opposite of God's Word? Beware. This evening, as we come to our invitation period, if I could have Mrs. Pat come forward, please. And I want to really challenge you with this principle You see, unmasking the costume predators. We're going to talk about holiness. I didn't quite get to that as much as I thought I would tonight. But God is holy. He's perfect. He's pure. He's clean. He's loving. He's caring. He has an end in sight. And He wants us, as we come and spend time with Him, that when they see us, they would see God through us because I have aligned myself with following His Word. I'll bear good fruit. And that is how we determine by their fruit ye shall know them who the bad prophets are. As the music plays tonight, I'd encourage you, number one, do you, are you positive? If, you're, if you were to step out, maybe... As you pillow your head tonight, you said, I don't know where I'm going to spend eternity. Please settle that decision. Because you're given an opportunity now and may never be given it again to know Jesus as your Savior. Don't put off till tomorrow when you're not guaranteed tomorrow. And Christian, we've got to be so careful and cautious of false doctrine. It's not just another flavor. It's a destination. And that destination of what I follow will either hurt or help me to be all that God called me to be. And I trust tonight as you're there praying in your pews with heads bowed and eyes closed. Let us be diligent, vigilant, and fortify the foundations of truth in our lives. Maybe you're here this evening as you don't know Christ. I'd love to meet with you afterwards and show you from the Bible how you can know for sure. If not, I think so or I hope so. You can settle. The Bible says in 1 John 5, 13, these things have I written unto you that you might know that you have eternal life. And Christian, my, we ought to inspect the fruit. And not an inspection of arrogance or better but just for the protection of myself and the protection of others so that others are not going in the direction that will lead to unnecessary consequences. As the music will come to a close here shortly, we'll pray, we'll conclude, and if you have any questions, I'd love to meet with you. Dear Heavenly Father, Lord, I thank you for this evening. And Lord, I thank you for the message that you've given. Lord, I really struggled and wrestled with the idea of how to present this, and you gave the very truths to present to your people. Father, I pray that we as Christians would be so cautious of what we're listening to and what we're following And as we're following, maybe listening to other preachers and looking at things, and even of myself, what is the fruit? Is he living out the Bible? 
Father, I pray that we would be steadfast upon Your Word. And Jeremiah was often, in, in, in his ministry, was neglected by all, but he still preached God's message. Some, many times the false prophet's message that received the large gatherings. Father, I just ask that we would have such a sensitive heart to say, what does the Bible say? And that's what I'm going to stick with. Even if the crowd goes another way, I'll stay with you, Jesus. And Lord, I pray that you'd work in the hearts of those that are lost, that are watching. They'd settle the decision of their eternity in Christ. Thank you for all you've done this evening. In the precious and holy name of Jesus, I pray. Amen. God bless you.